Hello listener, it's the host of Campbell's Football's Grant Campbell here, with a message to every one of you listening to this podcast. Please keep safe during this very stressful time with the outbreak of coronavirus affecting not just football, but our everyday lives. Make sure your friends and family are safe during this very stressful time for many of us, not just physically, but mentally too. But Campbell's Footballs will still be producing podcasts. However, there will be very few predictions because obviously there's not much football going on at the moment. I have a few in-conversation specials though, which I'm sure you would love to listen to. But at the end of the day, please make sure that you look after yourselves. Take the time to listen to the show in your own home, with friends and family. And remember that we are all in this together. So take care, be safe, and I'll see you soon. So, we're back for another episode of Campbell's Football. So, welcome to everybody listening uh, to the podcast. I'm joined for this episode by highly established football commentator, Dan O'Hagan. Dan, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Real pleasure to be asked. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to this as well because I'm really interested to hear about your career in, in general. First of all, how are you doing throughout this uh, whole coronavirus uh, shutdown at the moment? It must be very hard for people working in the commentary game. It is. I mean, literally, I had my entire diary wiped, so I've got no work at all now until football resumes again. I think we're all in that same boat. Mm. Um, you know, the weekend it happened, um, I was due to do the Schalke Dortmund derby in Dortmund, which is a huge occasion, huge game. Yeah. That's gone. Um, and yeah, so until football resumes again, I'm pretty much unemployed. This is, a, this is a thing that's so unprecedented. I mean, have you ever experienced anything like this before? Nothing. I mean, had you said to me even six weeks ago, football would stop, I would have said, you're crazy. Um, how on earth can, you know, football across the entire world, okay, I think they're playing in Belarus still, yeah. but football across the world has stopped. Um, it's never happened before. It'll probably ne- never happen again. So these are really uncharted times. And um, I think for all of us, you know, commentators, players, managers, fans, we're kind of... We, <laughs> football such a part of our lives and right now it's been taken away from yeah, us yeah absolutely I mean it's a it's a big part of my life but I think in these sorts of things certainly from my point of view you almost have to try and look at some form of positives to take out of a really big negative and I think doing this podcast which I'm obviously doing at the moment trying to get people from the world of football to talk about their stories um, is something that is of great interest to me and, and your journey is something that's very interesting to me just give us a little bit of a flavour of what made you want to start off in football and in sport in general Radio was my first love, and as a kid, you know, I would play with my parents, Transistor, and come across Radio 2, um, until 87, so when I was, what, nine years old, I'd never watched football, Mm. and I was at my nan's house, and she had a little kind of grey Transistor radio, and I was playing with it, and I came across Radio 2, and they were broadcasting a game which Derby County won promotion. I'd never heard football on the radio before, I'd never heard commentary before, I thought, wow, this is... This is exciting. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, then I got into football and heroes like 
Peter Jones and Brian Butler, uh, Mike Ingham um, on the radio. And, yeah, that was always my first love. And, you know, when, when you have that choice at school, you know, what do you do for a career? What exams do you choose? I had no idea. Yeah. And my mum yeah. said, well, you know, you're good at English. You like football. How about sports journalism? Yeah. So I took degrees in journalism and all my exams were geared towards English certainly, and then obviously later on the degree in journalism, and um, yeah, so got into it that way really. I was lucky that when I was at university in '97 mm-hmm. in Bournemouth, yeah, a regular five live ran a competition um, to find I think young commentator of the year, and I entered that and won it, which was amazing really. really. I mean, and funny enough, one of my colleagues on the Bundesliga now, Kevin Hatchell, he came second. Brilliant. Do you wind him up about so, that still? <laughs> No, no, I'm far too nice, but, you know, Kevin's a lovely bloke, and uh, we've, we've had a laugh about that. Um, so, yeah, and my first job was at MUTV in Manchester, so um, at the age of 21, I was seeing Alex Ferguson, David Beckham, Roy Keane, Dwight York, you know, the great team yes. just after they'd won the treble. Yeah. So that was a great place to learn. And then I went to ITV Anglia and had uh, four amazing years there as their, as their main commentator, then went freelance in 2005, and, you know, from then on, I've kind of done... Games or whoever's called me, so it's been uh, it's been a good, fun, and interesting journey so far. Yeah, you mentioned people like Mike Ingham, who I, I certainly remember growing up as well. What kind of an influence are these guys like? Did you get the opportunity to meet them? Um, who I've met, I've never met Mike Ingham. I, I've met, you know, obviously all of the TV commentators, and you know, I think you take bits and pieces from every single one you respect and everyone you like. For me, my hero was always Barry Davies, who I've yes. never met. Yeah. And um, I did my first match of the day the year after he'd retired, so I never was on the same show as he right. was, which was a bit mm-hmm. of a kind of mm-hmm. uh, one thing I regret, really. But, um, yeah, I think you kind of, you learn from each and every one that you respect and take bits of their game. But I always say even now to young guys who come to me and say, how do I do commentary? I say, just be yourself. Yes. Yes, use influences from from John Motson, from Barry Davis, from yeah. Brian Moore, from Martin Tyler, but make sure you, you're yourself, because no one wants to hire a clone of John Absolutely. Motson. Absolutely. They want someone who is a good commentator, but isn't a, a carbon copy. You just be yourself and let your personality come through in, in what you do. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned Barry Davis and, and John Motson. I mean, they were two guys that I really grew up listening to on Match of the Day and, and you know, the commentary that they do on live games, on especially FA Cup games. I mean, that's something that will resonate with me, certainly my younger years. It's just a yeah, same here. You know, I think you kind of forget that back in the 80s, there wasn't much live football, so mm. it was the FA Cup. It was the Cup Finals and the World Cups, where it was Motson and Davies, Brian Moore on ITV. Mm. And, um, you know, those guys, I think because back then there were so few commentators, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. became real superstars. And these days, you know, I always say commentators shouldn't want fame. The commentators should almost be irrelevant because the game should do the talking. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I come across guys who say, oh, I want to be famous, that's not the way to be. Yeah. You shouldn't be bigger than the game. Absolutely. And um, I think that's a lesson that we could all learn, you know, at yeah. times, that the commentator's voice shouldn't dominate the game. The game should dominate the commentator in a way. You mentioned earlier on that you worked with Man United Television. I'm a Manchester United fan myself, and you mentioned people like Sir Alex and David Beckham and people like that. What are these guys like? Because we always we all just see them just on television. I mean, you you had first-hand experience of being with them yeah. pretty much all the time. What were they like? Well, 
I mean, Fergie, the hairdryer, it's all true. He is a, a fearsome figure. Can be. But it, I've seen him equally, you know, coming to Carrington in the morning in his flip-flops, singing <laughs> to the girl on, on reception. Yeah. You know, so I think with Fergie, the Fergie on camera is a character. But they all play a character to some extent on camera. Um, but um, when they're off camera, I remember David Beckham coming in and showing us, you know, his late, his, 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 his ink on his arms, his, you know, latest tattoo yeah. uh, they just had done. Um, yeah. And people like um, Ryan Giggs and Dwight York, lovely guys, yeah. you know. Well, and, Giggs and was one of my heroes. Of its powers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me at 21 to go in there it was amazing you know to to be working with and to be um, interviewing guys that I've been watching myself on TV only yeah. six months before did you feel um, maybe slightly intimidated interviewing them or did you just feel like why what an opportunity this is to just speak with guys who are ultimately legends of Manchester United yeah I mean I was a kid um, and yeah, some were intimidating. Yeah, Roy Keane obviously was Absolutely. was fearsome. Yeah. If he flicks that stare on you, you knew you'd ask the wrong thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I think back and yeah, I'd, I'd be much better at the job now than I was then because now obviously I've got the the age, and I wasn't the kind of young kid. I was, you know. I was quite raw, quite green yeah. in that job, but uh, a great place to learn. I think I went there in in August of '99, and within three months, I'd done presenting, producing, floor managing, reporting, yeah. editing, commentating the whole lot. Wow. You, know, you wouldn't get that chance anywhere else. No, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, I take it the skill sets within each of that uh, positions that you just mentioned there are all very different. They are, yeah, and obviously my goal was always geared towards commentary, but. Back then, we didn't have many games to commentate on because mm. we didn't have the first team rights. We only had rights to show the reserves and the youth team. Yeah. So, so Steve Bow was there, and he did um, all the live stuff. Yeah. So I had to kind of almost take the scraps off Steve's table. Mm -hmm. um, so I was doing, you know, under 19s games at Carrington with one camera, with a mic in the back of the camera, yeah. and literally stuck the pitch side commentating into the camera. Yeah. Um, so um, it was a great place to learn, and yeah, you kind of, you know. It's a place to make your mistakes because no one's watching. I remember an incident uh, even now when I was, I think my first year there, and on the European nights we'd do like a 50-minute news bulletin at half-time um, from the studio at Old Trafford. And I went up there and I'd asked someone else to write the auto cue for me, and when I got there it was blank. Right. So I had to fill 50 minutes of dead air <laughs> um, with nothing to read Yeah. other than a page of the latest scores from the European games being played that night. Yeah. So. That was tough, and I hope that tape never resurfaces. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was certainly, um, as I say, it's a place to make your mistakes. So yeah. when you go to your next job, the kind of rough edges have been knocked off, and you are a bit more of the finished art, um, article. Yeah, and Manchester United, such a successful club around about that time. I mean, what are your experience? What are your memories of following United around about the nineties? Obviously, the treble. You know? They would win the league almost every year. Um, as we've said, the team was incredible. Mm. Uh, the manager was the greatest. Um, and there was such a, a buzz around the whole club, which came from the treble in 99. I came in just after that. And they kind of felt invincible. Mm -hmm. And a defeat was like a major story because the, they, they, they so rarely lost the game. Yeah. I remember they went to Chelsea and got beaten, I think, 5-0 uh, with Massimo Taibbi in goal. That's right. And that was, you know, like a kind of horror story for, yeah. for MU TV, for... I think the show was called Red Hot News. That was our lead story. You know, they'd been beaten 5 at Chelsea, which yeah. never happened. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the whole buzz around the club was great. The European trips, I got to go to places like to Bordeaux and, and to Munich. 
Um, brilliant. I mean, for me as a young guy, it was a great place to go to, and uh, the club was on a real high at that time. Where would you see United are now, post-Ferguson? Do you think they're getting back to where they maybe were? Obviously, Solskjaer coming in had a bit of problems at the start, you know, getting a full-time, obviously, but maybe steady the ship a little bit? I think he has. I think it was very difficult to follow Fergie. I think... David Moyes, I think we can see now in hindsight, was not the right decision. Louis van Gaal, likewise, was maybe the wrong coach, or, or the right coach at the wrong time. Mm. Um, and it's been it's been difficult because Fergie set the bar so high. Yeah. But I think even, even in Fergie's last couple of years, you could see the cracks were there. I always say that Van Persie papered over those I cracks agree. for... for for a couple of seasons yeah, um, and they've never quite got back to that level plus of course you've seen Man City on the rise Liverpool on the rise so other teams have gone forward and United have really almost kind of stood still or gone backwards yeah. um, so it's a mix of things and you know we'll see if Solskjaer is the right man but um, you know after a difficult start he's maybe begun to get things going in the right direction again yeah absolutely well, well I certainly hope they do better maybe some of my Liverpool fans listening to this movie don't agree but we'll see how that pans out um, you talked about making your TV commentary debut with ITV Anglia um, was there any characters that made that a memorable experience for you there? Yes, um, we had as our co-commentator Alan Brazil, yeah, who was um, oh, wow. great to work with. And I'll never forget, uh, we did a, a live game, it was the last day of the regular season, Norwich versus Stockport, and Norwich had to win to get into the playoffs, um, which was, you know, huge. And they won the two meals, so I was on commentary, Alan was co-com. Now, Alan obviously is ex-Ipswich, and he's beaten at Norwich. Um, so it gets to like 88 minutes, and he's right, I'm off. <laughs> um, he wanted to beat the crowds so I'm there for the last two minutes with like a spinning chair next to me as he's made a sharp exit and um, so luckily no more goals were scored so he wasn't really needed to do any more analysing but yeah he legged it to yeah. kind of beat the uh, the angry Norwich mob on the way out Brilliant. but that... again that was a great place to learn you know to go there and in those in that first season I was 24 and we had live first division football, so championship now, but live games. So yeah. doing live games at that age on terrestrial TV was was massive. I listened back now, and I was really raw, and you know, <coughs> I was very high pitched. But it was a great place to learn again. And um, yeah, my time at Anglia was, without doubt, happy. It was. Yeah. Norwich. Was, I mean, I've moved back. I'm, I'm in Norfolk again now, and, uh, and Norwich was a great place to go to. And, and to kind of grow up and to, and to settle down to buy houses for the first time and almost kind of become an adult for the first yeah. time. So it was great. Um, yeah. Really happy times. And Norwich then were a good team as well, which always helped. You mentioned Alan Brazil. I mean, he's had a very successful career, obviously, doing on TalkSport as well. I mean, yeah. it, it, you must have met, had so much knowledge from working with him. And, and obviously, what everybody talks about is his social incidences and <laughs> things like that. I mean, is he just like, is he just as you would see him? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, lovely fella. Um, I remember doing a piece with him um, during a World Cup, must be 2002. Uh, went to interview him um, at a golf course in Suffolk, and um, afternoon. And of course, he was in the bar, and you know, <laughs> he was happy. Let's say, um, great fun, and uh, always very engaging on camera. Um, yeah, great fun to work with. And uh, but that game at Norwich when he left me before the end was, you know. That 
that's never happened to me before or since. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all, that's always a bonus. <laughs> but that's just Alan, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned obviously Alan about your your time there. You've you've also worked for a range of other um, TV and radio outlets. You worked for Eurosport. I mean, Eurosport is a is a television channel that I watch on a regular basis. It's got a, a huge variety of sports. You've you've commented at the the FIFA Confederations Cup. I mean, what was that as experience? Because it was Brazil just the year the year they won the the World Cup, obviously. It was. Um, that was two thousand and three. Yeah. And uh, my first game was actually at the at the, the um, Stade de France. It was mm. um, Brazil versus Cameroon. Yeah. Uh, Cameroon won the game one nil with an amazing goal in the last minute from uh, Samuel Eto'o. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, you know, I was only a kid, and sometimes I think that. I almost came too far too quickly, so I don't think I was anywhere near ready for for that kind of game. And and even for match of the day in two thousand five, I, I was far too raw for it. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, great experiences, and um, you know, you kind of think back to uh, to think I was early twenties doing games like that. You know, it it kind of wouldn't happen these days, and yeah. um, great opportunities. But um, I do look, listen back and think, oh, you know, I just sounded so young on those games back then. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's fantastic to, to just hear that, that that journey. I mean, let's talk about match of the day because obviously that's how I sort of first um, came up upon you actually in more depth on that on that program. I mean, what's it like for working on match of the day? Because obviously um, the the guys, obviously Gary Lineker has done it certainly since I've been on the go, and obviously in the past is it's kind of evolved with people like Alan Hansen and now Alan Shearer, really the the sort of main pundit on with either Ian Wright or an equivalent. And what what is it like to actually do commentary for that? How, how does the the sort of um, the planning go into that? Do you just get a game of choice to, to do overheads for? How does it work? Right. I mean, I remember getting the call. Um, it was 2004, um, and I had a phone call. It was December, and it was the editor saying, you know, can you do some games for us? And it's like, wow, this is like the holy grail of commentary, mm-hmm. um, as it was back then, um, to do Match of the Day. So my first one was... Day 04, Norwich against Tottenham. And uh, what happens is, um, each month they send through the rotor, which has got your name on it, and what, which games you have each coming match day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had, I think, two games that, that month as a kind of trial. And, um, you know, I really, I was on that show for 11 years. Um, but the thing was, again, I think I probably went into it too young. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen back to now the games on match today that when I was you know mid twenties and I just sound like a kid, mm-hmm. um, you know. So and I think I got kind of pigeonholed. You know, I was young Dan, and we'll give Dan the game that's kind of way down the pecking order. So I never got to do the big teams. I always did the Boltons, the Blackburns, the Middlesbroughs, yeah. uh, the Wiggins. Yeah. Um, so you know that's that's a regret that I never got to mm. really showcase myself on on the really important games for the BBC. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It may well happen in the future. I don't know. But you know, I never kind of felt that I was going to make enough progress to kind of trouble the top guys and get in yeah. there to do Liverpool, mm. United, Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal. Um, but you know, to have that on your CV for eleven years. Immensely proud. Yeah. Um, work with some great people, um, good friends even now who work on the show as well. And um, a really, really, I think to have that on your CD match of the day is something people can never take away from Absolutely. You know, I Absolutely did not. that. 
Yeah. Um, not just once or twice, but for 11 seasons. Yeah. And um, really good. And um, I'm proud of you know, the time I spent on, on that show. Do you get opportunities to speak to Gary Lineker and, and some of the main guys there? No. I mean, I met Gary once mm-hmm. when we were doing um, an FA Cup game from TV Centre. Um, because I couldn't get the stadium, so it was a late call. So I did it from from the studio and had a very brief conversation. So mm-hmm. the commentators and the presenters don't really get to mix much because we're at location. Sure. They're in the studio in Salford now, and um, back then, um, obviously TV centre. So it's kind of them and us. Yeah. Um, you know, not in a bad way. It's just that you don't get the mm-hmm. chance to yeah. kind of meet. Yeah. All the that's just the way it is but um, you know it's um, yeah 11 years on that and um, some great memories and some great games and I just kind of regret not getting a chance to do games that really mattered yeah yeah was there any friendly rivalry between some commentators because I've had people like Guy Mowbray on and, and, and loads of other people and they're, that, 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 they do things in different ways and they don't really see a rivalry they see it as a friendly kind of competition so to speak yeah I mean as a freelancer in theory, you're all rivals. You're mm-hmm. all kind of after the same finite amount of work. Yeah. Um, but we'll get on. Yeah. Um, for example, we do um, the European games, so Europa League and yeah. Champions League, from one building these days mm-hmm. in London. And you're all in there at the same time. So that's when you do get to socialise and to talk to the guys and catch up with the guys. Yeah. And. Um, Without fail, everyone gets on. Um, yeah, I mean, some you'll get on better with than others, but that's that's the nature of the beast. Um, yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's it, those nights when you're all together. Yeah, and the kind of conversations flowing, and you're telling stories about what you've been doing and what they've been doing. Great, and um, I'll never forget when I won the Radio Five competition in '97. Um, my prize was to do a game at Spurs for the trial run of what is now Five Live Sports Extra, mm-hmm. which is then BBC Sports Plus. Yes, yeah. and I was, I was what, nineteen years old, and I met Peter Drury, mm-hmm. um, who, who was there for Five Live, and he said, "Hi, Dan and Peter, welcome to the club." And I thought that was such a nice yes. turn of phrase, yeah. and obviously a, a nice gesture. Yeah. and he's right; it is a club, mm-hmm. um, and I think. All the guys in it, we know we're lucky to do the jobs we, we do, and it's never a chore. Yeah. And we all get on, and um, and yeah, got some great friends in commentary, and obviously outside as well, but um, those nights when you all get together, fantastic. You mentioned Peter Drury. I mean, that's a guy who is a maestro with words. I mean, the, the iconic commentaries that he's done, certainly in recent times on BT Sport, yeah. are just fantastic. The one that springs to my mind just off the top of my list is the Roma-Barcelona game, the Manolas header. I say that very, very game, yes. Yeah. Um, Peter is, I th- I'm trying to think, I think for money, money, in terms of his vocabulary and his expression, I think right now he's the best commentator working wow. um, for that reason. Yeah. Um, others have different skills, but I think Peter, in terms of of his verbosity, yeah. if that's a word, um, his his use of language, mm-hmm. no one can touch him. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, the way he describes, and what Peter does, it doesn't matter what the game is, it can matter, it can be a top-of-the-table game or a mid-table game, that doesn't matter really. Yeah. He treats it the same. Yeah. And that, that, that is fantastic, because I, my ethos as well is that no matter what the game is 
you must do it justice. Absolutely. You must treat that game as if it's the most important game that season. Yeah. Because for a fan at home, it might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you do have to treat it with respect. And uh, I think Peter does. And, you know, I think I mentioned Davis, Motson, uh, Tyler, Brian Moore as the kind of legends of of years gone by yeah. but I think Peter Drury of the kind of modern crop of commentators yeah. because of the language he'll be remembered in a similar vein no definitely I agree, I agree with that I mean I, I think his commentary is just fantastic I mean there's other people that spring to my mind I mentioned Guy already Clive Tilsley's another one I've always admired growing up um, but the, but Drury's way of words and his choice of language is absolutely sensational uh, Dan you've had a, a, a Fantastic um, sort of period in the 2010s. You travelled to South Africa for the for the World Cup. What was that like? Because that was a, a really interesting tournament. It was. Um, I was working for the 3D coverage of that World Cup, what? which um, it hasn't been done before or since because mm. t- obviously 3D TVs didn't take off. Yeah. Um, so I, I did. I did, what did I do? I did. I was in. Durban, Cape Town and Port Elizabeth so I saw three cities during that World Cup and my first World Cup it was brilliant mm-hmm. um, you know to, to go to a World Cup as a commentator that's another pinnacle another mm-hmm. thing to put on the CV on the bucket list yeah. to say yeah done it and yeah. uh, that was brilliant um, it was strange because it wasn't a hot World Cup so yeah. you're kind of wearing fleeces and jackets and it felt a bit, a bit unusual to be not you know, in, sh- in shirt sleeves and mm-hmm. and sweating. But, um, yeah, I think my first game was Germany 4, Australia 0 in Durban. Um, and that World Cup, I went as far as the semi-final. So my last game, well, I did the, the third place playoff, but my last proper game was the semi-final Netherlands-Uruguay, which is a yes. great game of football to finish yeah. on. Cracking game. Um, so yeah. Brilliant. I mean, that was my first World Cup, and it was, yeah, you never forget your first, and that was for me, mind-blowing stuff was there quite a lot of well taking would have been quite a lot of traveling and preparation involved for a lot of these games um how, how much did that take out of you physically and, and mentally that wasn't too bad because we kind of did blocks so you did a block of games in one city then a block of games in the other one mm. and then you kind of move on after a few days the tough one was brazil four years later where um i was flying between three cities yeah. so i did Cuiaba, Curitiba, and Manaus. Yes, of course. Um, it's one's like, like a kind of four-hour flight. Absolutely. So you're yeah. doing that every two or three days, and that, that is tiring. So, yeah. you know, because it's not so much to travel, it's trying to get all your prep done. Mm-hmm. Because people forget that, you know, I think all of us take our prep immensely seriously. For me, it's a day per game minimum. Yeah. So trying to get that in during a World Cup, it's difficult, and I hate to cut corners because... I feel very exposed if I know in my head there's something I'm not sure about. Yes, yeah. Excuse me. So you have to kind of put the prep in to make sure you don't get exposed, don't get caught out. And you kind of feel during the World Cup, you have to find a way of streamlining stuff Yeah. so that you can get it all done. And that means you do a lot of stuff before you go out um, to the World Cup. And when you're out there, it's kind of topping up between each game. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Brazil was tough in terms of the travel. Yeah. And that water hot World Cup, Manaus was obviously baking hot. Yeah. And, uh, but again, World Cups, you can't beat it. You know, you could go to a World Cup and, you, and you're part of it, and it's just, yeah, it's the best feeling in this business. You touched on preparation. Would you do that same meticulous preparation for, say, a normal weekend of matches like every Saturday? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, as I said earlier, I treat every game the same, so it doesn't matter if it's a game in League Two or 
Bayern Munich versus Dortmund, it gets the yeah. exact same treatment. Uh, because to the fans of those clubs, you know, a game between Carlisle and Lincoln is as important as Arsenal Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, so you treat each game with the same preparation, the Absolutely. same respect, and you should have the same depth of knowledge across those games. So, yeah, I never cut corners. Um, it's very tough in the autumn when there are games coming thick and fast to try and fit it all in, but yeah. you do to the kind of expense of your family life and your, and your social life. Mm. But you kind of get the work done. Um, but, yeah, you have to treat every game, I think, the same because that's what the fans who are watching that's what they deserve absolutely you mentioned Manaus earlier I'm just going to go back to that a little bit were you there when England were playing I think England were playing Italy there for one of those games weren't they they did I did play that game but I did um, I think I think my last game there was Honduras against the Swiss when Xhaka scored a hat-trick yeah not uh, Shakiri scored a hat-trick yeah and um, yeah that was um, that was Manaus but yeah incredibly hot yeah um because that was almost like that was in the, like the rainforest, wasn't it? Because it was because Brazil's. It was. I, I'm a bit of a geographer, so I was just trying to sort of picture Brazil. So Manaus is kind of up in the sort of north, the Amazon. yeah, Amazon corner, yeah, and obviously Sao Paulo, and that is where obviously the the sort of bigger games were. But yeah, it was one of the weird ones, and I know that England would play in Italy. That was the game that uh, Mario Balotelli had a a real influence. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but that World Cup, it was that was a very hot place to work and you know you're up there on the gantry and you get through you know litres of water during the yeah. country which you don't do when you're doing games in the UK certainly yeah um, so just to kind of acclimatise was difficult because you're there yeah. for three or four days and um, yeah it was really draining stuff to be travelling between cities and then the difference in climate as well but you know you wouldn't trade your World Cup memories for anything let's make it a journey back home so you're obviously doing work at the moment for Bundesliga in the German league I mean what is the Bundesliga represent to you because for me it's a league that you know you think of Munich you think of Dortmund you think big clubs but you also look at some of the other sides in there and think on their day they can beat these teams they can and um I've done this now for five years, um, working for the Bundesliga, and over that time, you get a real feeling of the league and of the clubs. And yeah, okay, Bayern dominate, and they mm-hmm. have done for years and years. Yeah. But behind them, you know, there's always a real fight for the, the top four places. You've seen Leipzig in the last couple yes. of years um, develop and grow as a club. Um, Dortmund always strong. Um, but even you know when Bayern go to places like, like Mainz and Augsburg, um, it, it's always an occasion. And mm. I just love the whole German football culture. Yeah. You know, to go to a game in the Bundesliga, even when you're working, it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, going to Dortmund, eighty thousand fans inside that stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, the the yellow wall behind the goal, uh-huh. full an hour, two hours before kickoff. Yeah. Um, incredible. Why do you and think it's an honour? Yeah. Know, I've, yeah. I've enjoyed my career yeah. immensely. Yeah. Um, be that match of the day, be that ITV Anglia, MUTV, whatever. But the Bundesliga thing for me, in terms of fun, yeah, it's the best I've done. Why do you because think you have an amazing what? team of commentators? Yeah, um, and we're all really good mates, and you're kind of covering a league you love with people you get on, on so well with and for me it's the best most satisfying work I've ever done yeah why do you think the German footballing experiences 
seen as a really good one and maybe maybe in other countries it's maybe not as strong uh, certainly in Scotland I, I'm not sure the experience is as good as certainly going to a German I mean I've never been to a German game but I've got a load of friends listening to this that have been to Schalke have been to Dortmund and say that it's fantastic and I have to go I mean why do they get it so right? They just do um, if you think um, Bundesliga your match ticket gets you free transport that day across you know from the train stations the buses the trams it's all included in the ticket price mm. you get to the stadium uh, burgers sausages beers priced cheaply mm. cheaper than you'd probably pay in, in, in the bars yeah um, they keep the burger bars and, and sausage stores open after the game so you can stay and have a beer and a sausage and talk yeah. about the game with, with your friends uh, the ticket prices are cheap. Mm -hmm. um, the atmosphere is great. The fan culture is there. The ownership of the clubs is weighted towards, you know, local ownership and, and, and fan involvement. Mm. And they make the whole occasion about fans. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Bundesliga makes a lot of money from TV revenue and advertising. Mm. Of course it does. But it doesn't lose sight of the fact that it's the fans, the people's game, and the people's clubs. Yeah, I think that's where Germany scores highly, and uh, maybe one or two leagues elsewhere have kind of taken the run off the ball in that respect. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good analysis of that, and I certainly feel that is possibly the case in Scotland. Um, I'm not sure if it's the case in England, but you know, obviously BT and Sky do so much great coverage, but I think sometimes the general football fan just loves experiencing these games and you know, trying to make that as as positive an experience as possible is something that I believe needs to be continuously uh, maintained and thought about and developed. And the German model just get it so right in my view, and hence why I wanted to ask that question. Um, is there a particular stadium? You mentioned Dortmund earlier on. Is that the best stadium to, to play a game or to see a game? Sorry, I think we uh, sorry, just broke up. Sorry, sorry, just just repeat that again. Um, so the Dortmund's ground is it is it the the best ground to experience the atmosphere? Yes, I think in atmosphere terms, yes. And uh, what really, um, because of this coronavirus break, my last game before the break was meant to be Dortmund Schalke mm. in Dortmund, the big derby. Yes, and um, there was talk of that being behind closed doors. Yeah, which then got cancelled. That would have been horrible to do that mm. game in that stadium empty would have been it would have really um, yeah. it would have watered down the experience so mm. much Yeah. so hopefully we'll play it in front of a, a full house when it does resume again and we're back to normal but um, yeah atmosphere terms Zignaladuna Park in Dortmund is hard to beat it's yeah. just such a a lovely um, tight stadium where the kind of fans feel on top of the pitch even though there's, there's 80,000 of them mm. and uh, you watch a game there last season I did um the game where Bayern were beaten 3-2 in Dortmund. Yeah, but uh, I think I remember that Pilar. game. 3-2, mm -hmm. Pacquiao yeah. Kassa came on and, and scored the winner. Yeah. And I think for me, that's probably the best league game I've ever commentated on. Well, that was my next question. Is there a game that's your best game that you've commentated? Dortmund Munich, 3-2? That was probably last season, yeah. I think, in terms of league football, the best one I've ever watched live because it was the top two. Mm -hmm. Um world-class players on each team an amazing comeback because at half-time Bayern looked in total control Alcacer came on and changed the game for Dortmund um, and uh, yeah just a great occasion and yeah. uh, one of those games that 
as it goes by each minute you kind of feel that you're part of a really special occasion yeah and um, yeah that was I think for me the best game I've seen for a long long time who's the best player that you've seen in the Bundesliga in your time following the German football I mean certainly in recent times people like Sancho have really caught my imagination Lewandowski for for Leverkusen for Munich sorry um, a lot of the Leverkusen players are really good to watch I mean any catch you alright Lewandowski I think because of his merciless goal scoring you yeah. look at him and um, he's just a pure goal scoring machine yeah um, I've never seen a striker who is so deadly mm. give him even not even a half chance a quarter chance he'll put it away because yeah. he's just lethal yeah um, but, but Jaden Sancho as well for a guy who I think he's just turned 20 on the 25th of March yeah. um, and to do what he's done already Phenomenal. Yeah. His record this season for goals and assists, it's almost superhuman. It's up there with the Messies um, yeah. of this world, and he's only 20. Um, so all this talk of him moving on for, for, for big money, it'll be, I think, a world record feat to mm. get him away from Dortmund. Yeah. Uh, because of what he is now and his potential is just frightening. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's some good shows. I mean, you mentioned Alakasera. He's a, he's, a, he's a brilliant player. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed certainly growing up watching German football with Leverkusen being a really strong side sort of around the mid-2000s. But Munich were always the team that just offered so much. I mean, people like Lam, people like Neuer in goal. You would so much quality in that midfield. And managers like Guardiola and Klopp really made German football Probably a bit higher than it than it, it well currently now than it was. I would argue. I think yeah, Guardiola certainly at Bayern took them to a whole new level. And when he left, um, they had some great coaches, um, Ancelotti, mm-hmm, uh, Niko Kovac, and none of them could really get from the players what Guardiola did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Thomas Müller, a player who under Absolutely. Guardiola was playing his best football. Yeah, um, and. Early this year, he looked finished mm-hmm. until they changed and brought Hansi Flick in as coach, and he's now back to the old Thomas Muller. But, yeah. but but players like, like, like Muller uh, really thrived under Guardiola, and he was such a hard man to replace. And, and at Dortmund too, Klopp was such a huge figure. Yeah, um, as we know at Liverpool, he's he's a character who yes. who dominates an entire club, an entire league in the Bundesliga's case. Yeah. When he was at Dortmund, and to replace him was tough. And Dortmund have had some great managers who've gone in there to try and. Um, you know, take up from what he established and it's been very hard to do that because he set the bar so high. Yeah, yeah. Moving back into the English League, I mean, what's the best game you've sort of commentated on in England and which teams do you enjoy seeing? I mean, obviously we mentioned Liverpool. I mean, they've been superb this season. Um, Best game in England, I can't think of any off the top of my head I can really think of were, were, were wonderful games. I guess... This wasn't for match. This was for Norwich City's club video. I did um, Norwich four Middlesbrough four in the o four o in the o four o five season. Yeah, yeah. When Norwich came from four nil down to four yeah. four. Yeah. yeah, which was amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because obviously I've not worked on match of the day now since twenty fifteen. Yeah. So you almost kind of lose touch a little bit with the mm. Premier League because it's not the league you watch week in week out. Yeah. Um, so. Obviously, I do still watch it from afar, but it's. I wouldn't say my, my knowledge now is anywhere near as deep as it used to be of the, yeah. the Premier League, sir. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know because you focus so much on what you're doing, which is the Bundesliga. You've had a fantastic. But, um, you've had a fantastic journey so far in, in in TV and a little bit of radio commentary. Which do you prefer, or is is there a preference? TV, um, I think, because you do less talking. <laughs> 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 it kind of rests your voice a bit. 
Um, but also, it depends a lot on, on who you're with. Um, if you've got a great co-com alongside you, you enjoy it so much more yeah. because you can trust them to pick up and and to kind of keep the energy going when you're feeling a bit tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm lucky in the German game we have some amazing guys who work with as co-commentators, mm-hmm. and you can you're feeling very safe hands alongside them. Yeah. Um, so that can help, and um, yeah, the enjoyment factor is always increased when you work with someone that uh, you can really, really trust to do you know a good job alongside you. Yeah, yeah. When you're not doing football commentary, what other interests do you do? God, what do I do? Well, at the moment, because I've got this lockdown, I'm watching a lot of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> sounds quite boring, but I love photography. Um, Aviation photography, old aeroplanes are a huge passion of mine. Mm. Um, And, you know, sadly as well, that's locked down right now, so I can't even do that. Um, So I enjoy that. Um, I I enjoy the theatre. I enjoy good movies. But, um, you know, right now, like all of us, there's not much you can do, really. I'm living here in, in South Norfolk in an amazing part of the world I can yeah. go walk in the countryside and, and not see other people so yeah. I don't feel too kind of hemmed in by it all but um, our entire lives have been changed at the moment and um, we can't do the things we love No, it's interesting because I think a lot of people who who listen to people commentate and they they, 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 they kind of don't really have an idea as to what they do sort of behind the scenes and I just wanted to ask that question but you mentioned aviation photography I mean I, I did my PhD at Cranfield University and I just graduated last uh, last summer and uh, Cranfield is on the uh, university. If, you, if people are listening to this, know it very well. It's, it's built on a old disused air site, air, airplane site. Um, so if you're ever interested in doing photography, head down to Cranfield, Dan. It's a wonderful place. They've got a lightning, haven't they? Which yeah. I think goes up and down the runway. Still, yes, they do. Um, yeah, which, which is amazing. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's oh, I've done that for years and years and years. Um, aviation photography, and um, it's 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 a release because obviously that's normally in the summer. So. When yeah. you have those rare weekends off, mm. you go and do that, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. But I'm strange in a way because I, I don't watch much football at home. Yeah, because it, it's your job. Um, I'm not one who'll come in and watch Monday night football religiously because mm-hmm. I've been working all weekend on football. I don't want to watch football. Yeah, you know, my girlfriend's not not a massive football fan. She, you know, she'll watch games if I'm on it, but she's not going to watch games with yeah. me just because it's a game to watch on TV. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of um, I, I, I love football, but it's not my life. Yeah. Um, I don't let it rule everything I do. Yeah. So um, yeah, and I think also, you know, I think we've all become in the last couple of years experts on politics as well. So we well, kind of take a big interest yeah. in that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think well, that's that's changed for me in the last couple of years as well. So you know, you kind of football for me is important, but it's not it's not everything. No, absolutely. I agree with that. But I I, I love my football and many of listening to this will probably think why are you agree with it because you, you but I, I, I just think football's just a, a passion that I love. It's almost a release from my everyday job working in science and, and you know, I think having a passion or having football as a passion is different to having football as a job. They're both very nice to have, but mingling the two maybe is slightly difficult. Yes, it is, yeah. Um, I think it's about having a balance. Mm. And um, I think maybe, going back years and years and years, football was everything for me. Yeah. And you become quite boring person if that's all you've got. It's like, you know, if your job is all you are, then you're very one-dimensional. So, so now, as I say, when I come home um, for the Bundesliga... I don't watch football at home because I don't really want to. Yeah. Um, I'll watch games I need to watch in terms of preparation for commentaries, but I, you know I don't even watch 
match of the day these days. Yeah. Um, because I'm always away when it's on. Uh, but equally, I'll look at the scores, I'll, I'll find highlights online. I can't just sit there and watch, you know, an hour and a half's program because. I don't have the time for it, yeah. and I wanted to want to do other things. Yeah, obviously, social media and like video stations like YouTube and that are really growing um, people's interactions within football. Do you have you found social media a positive um, engine? Love it, um, you know, and it means the commentator is now accountable because people can get in touch with you. Mm. Um, so if you um, unfairly criticise a player or a team, the fans can say, "Hey, hang on." And, uh, and, and come at you if it's done in the right way that's yes. brilliant mm-hmm. um, you know you can't you can't belittle or or talk down to patronise football fans because we all have opinions about the game and, and, and your opinion as a fan is every bit as valid yeah. as mine as a commentator we all see the game differently yes. I think social media it lets players and fans interact in a way that they've never done before yeah. as well so I think social media used correctly is really good for the game mm-hmm. and um, you know for commentators too it's um, and also it, it's it's good to kind of get yourself out there and and kind of let people see that you're you're not just a voice you're not yeah. just someone who's on for 10 minutes on match of the day um, you're actually a person as well you, you've got views you've got opinions you are you are a living breathing human being and um, I think that's important that, you know, you're not just seen as, as a commentator, you're seen as, as a person. Yeah, and, and the growing of, of stations like Amazon Prime and Virgin Media, Netflix, etc., that's, that's really going to be a positive thing for football as well. It is when the games are played. Yeah, well, as well, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, um, absolutely. And there's never been more scope for a commentator now to, to work for different people because now very few of us are on staff contracts. So mm. we're all freelance or, yeah. or to some extent. So, you know, we can go and work. I mean, this season I've worked for Premier Sports, the Bundesliga, for BT Sport, mm-hmm. um, for various people doing world feeds on various leagues, Chinese League, Europa League, Champions League. Um, so there's never been more more chance to go and commentate yeah. um, on different leagues and to kind of have a really broad portfolio of stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, for commentators right now, it's a really good time. I mean, okay, maybe right, not right now because of the, the whole being being paused. But when games are being played, it's a really exciting open time yeah. where there's a lot of employers and a lot of games to be commentated on. And yeah, I mean long may that happen really yeah absolutely Dan I've really enjoyed our conversation we're just about coming to the end of the podcast but I always like to ask my guests one last question what does the future hold for Dan O'Hagan who knows I'd, I'd be very happy to keep on going as we're going now and to do Bundesliga and um, do that for a long long time because I love it I yeah. work with a brilliant team great people great football um, a huge privilege and to keep doing bits and pieces as well for other channels in the UK yeah. and just to stay busy and stay healthy as at this time of you know great crisis we all must hope for our health first yeah. and foremost and football comes back when it's ready to come back Absolutely. but when it does I just hope things carry on and um, you know maybe a few more World Cups and stuff in the future as well but um, yeah if I stay doing what I'm doing now for the next 10-15 years I'll be really happy Absolutely fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation, Dan. Uh, Really good luck to you in the rest of your career. And thanks for being a guest on the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Grant, real pleasure. Thank you. No worries.
Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night!